regardless of what my... I live in Lao, and Lao is a culture that is steeped in religion and superstition and um, belief in the spirit world or beliefs of reincarnation. And we're very Buddhist in Lao, and we strongly believe in reincarnation. The long walk, is it fantasy, science fiction, and even maybe a little bit of horror? What happens on that long walk alters some of the characters' very destinies. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Director is Maddie Dow, who is a Laotian-American and the only female director from Lao and the first horror film director from Lao. We spoke about this intriguing film. Yeah, fascinating movie. You know, let's... Uh, Let's kind of talk a little philosophical. And as a disclaimer, this may or may not apply to your film. But this is what got me thinking because of your film. Maybe there are places in the world that we don't understand yet that maybe time overlaps and gives you the ability to go back in time and maybe make different changes and how that would impact the future. Also, Maybe this is some kind of essentially a, a purgatory type place where you kind of meet people from the past and you have a do-over kind of thing. So in, in that kind of, in even a religious side of it, maybe it's instead of going to another place when you pass away, you go there and you get to relieve things over and over again which, uh, you know, a little bit of reincarnation there. So, uh, I mean, what, what are your feelings on something I just said? I know there's a lot to throw at you, but, uh, but it's what got me thinking this morning. Regardless of what my... I live in Lao, and Lao is a culture that is steeped in religion and superstition and um, belief in the spirit world or beliefs of reincarnation. And we're very Buddhist in Lao, and we strongly believe in reincarnation. We strongly believe that uh, that there is a rebirth. Um, and one of the things that I always hear people say when they when they are worried that a spirit hasn't moved on is they get really sad and say they didn't have the opportunity to be born again. Which I really love the way we say that because when you say born again in the Western world, that is not what that means, yes. <laughs> you know. Um, and so, in that aspect, you're right. There is rebirth, but when you talk about purgatory, Tony, I find that really interesting because um, not a lot of people have mentioned purgatory, and I don't believe that the that the um, main character, the boy slash the man are experiencing purgatory, but I definitely think that the girl is. I mean, she has not moved on. She has not been reborn, uh, regardless of whether or not the spirit does get reborn or if it moves on or not. The old man has doubts, right? The old yes. man says to that one spirit, to, talk the, um, to Lena's mother, I don't know what happens to you next. Every person in my lifetime has said, you they move on or they become reborn. But how he's never had proof of that. He's never had any evidence of that. So for him, he's so sad when he can't take hold of the woman and he can't possess her anymore like an object or like one of his many dolls in his collection and that she has to 
move on invariably. He has doubts that she moves on. He wonders if she's just going like into the ether. But look at our girl. Look at our ghost girl. She keeps watching these two in this looping cycle. He's she doesn't see him born. She sees when she dies. Basically, she's she dies. She meets him. She's with him. He dies. And it all starts over again. And this is like a purgatory for her. So you're not wrong in that, in any of those aspects at all. But as for like the time loop where maybe they've seen, stumbled upon pockets of time, physical pockets of time or gaps of time. That's what I wanted the old man to feel in the beginning of the film before he realizes that he can go back in time. When they're on the road and he's watching himself and his mother and the little boy turns and looks at them, but the little boy is only seeing the girl because he's kind of sitting behind the bushes smoking, right? So the little boy doesn't notice that the old man's there on the road stand, um, sitting with the girl who's standing. And he says, you keep bringing me back and showing me this. You keep showing me my mother right before she got super terminally ill. And what's, what's even the point? And he's like, I remember, right? I remember when my mother first got ill and started coughing. And... At that moment, Tony, I think he believes that. He believes that he's seeing a mirage or a window. Yeah. A window that he thinks he can't go through. And suddenly he accidentally goes through it because I think that the girl has to be like, okay, you're not catching the obvious. You can go through. I'm going to show you. You're going to go to your, see your dad. <laughs> yeah, that was that was. So it's awesome. all of the things that you said. <laughs> I love it. I love that. I think it's great. And just the fact that we're talking about it like that shows that this is a film that tells a very fascinating story. And, uh, and that's what appeals to me as well. It's just, it makes, it makes people talk. And even the title, The Long Walk, that could easily be a metaphor for that a person. endlessly life. walking that road, right? Well, or a person's lifetime. Yeah. Isn't that the long walk, really? Yeah. You know, it really- It is a long walk. Yeah. And does it really end after you pass away? Exactly. Or do you keep walking, but on a different plane or a different reality? <laughs> More with Maddie Doe in a moment. And to really reinforce this movie, besides the writing, is the, uh, is the cast. I mean, that little boy, boy, if any performance is off, but especially a, a child's performance is off, the movie just flops. But boy, he was spot on and he was absolutely oh, he's incredible. He is you, so incredible. How did you find him? Oh, my God. That was really rough, actually. Um, I don't really do casting for my films. I have to now for the new films that I'm working on um, because they're West, like I'm doing a, an American film as well next. And it's a whole process. There are agents and all this stuff. But in Lao, because we don't really have professional actors in that regard the most professional actors were lena's mom the market lady and the old man and the reason why i call them professional actors is because they come from uh, a theater troupe a government theater troupe that's called like propaganda theater and their job which is now actually getting a little bit defunct now that we have social media and the internet their job in the old days used to be to go and tour rural areas in our country who didn't have access to like TV or who didn't have access to the internet, et cetera. And they would do skits. They would perform informative plays, I guess you could say, have assemblies, right? And so they were, they were great and they really understood, but 
theater to film is also super different. You know, oh, yeah. film is a lot more subtle. You're not yelling your dialogue out to an audience that might be sitting out in the nosebleed seats. So that is very different. But that little boy, I did casting for the first time in my life. I had a big open call casting. People brought children. Uh, I maybe saw 20, 20 children at uh, my office. And I picked one who looked a lot like the old man. And a few days before the shoot, the old man and his theater troupe people were doing some kind of commercial and they were at that little boy's school and he had a meltdown. Like he had a total meltdown when he got, you know, children, pouty, tired, et cetera. And he called me, he called my office and he was like, Maddie, your pick is a no-go. Like, oh, wow. Film is so much harder than doing a little TVC, like a little TV commercial at a schoolyard, right? Yeah. And we're going to be in the jungle. We're going to be out in the wilderness. Like, that kid's not going to be able to cut it. He just, like, he melts down. He has tantrums when he's tired. And I was like, oh, no, what do we do? And this was, like, three days before, three or two days before the shooting started, Tony. It was yeah. bad. It was a really bad situation. And he said, but, but I found someone else also looks like me. He lives in this village, which was even farther out. If you want, um, he seemed really bright and, you know, interactive and energetic. You go check him out. I got you his parents' phone number. My producer and I looked at each other and we hopped in the car, like immediately, like we packed our bags and we hopped in the car and we called this, their parents, my assistant called the parents and we like, we drove out to the village, which, Luckily, it was also near where we were shooting. Oh, that's so it great. Like, it was really good to be It was 45 minutes out of town. And we drove out and I met him. And he was not, he was just like, okay, what's this movie thing, right? He didn't, he didn't care so much about it. And his parents only wanted to like show him off, you know, like all parents. They knew that there was money involved and they're just like, show her how you can sing, show her how you can cry, show her, show her something. <laughs> He's just like getting more withdrawn, you know, as his parents are like freaking out and they're like, show her how good you are at soccer. And um, at one point I could see that he was not responding. So I just said, you know, mother, father, do you mind if I take a little walk with your son? Um, and you can speak to my producer about what the work would entail, how many days it would be and payment, you know, and they're like, oh, okay, sure. And so he and his baby brother take a walk around their street with me and we just play games. We play games, pretend games. I played with his little brother. I asked him, like, you know, we pretended we had bags of treasure. We pretended to bury it and we pretended pirates found it. And he did really well. Because if you can play pretend, you can act. There you go. And so, you know, I got down to his level and I was like, would you like to be in a movie? And he was like, I don't know, I guess, like, sounds okay. Like, I, I heard I get to skip school, you know, because he got to skip two days of school. He got to skip Monday and Friday. And um, and we had to hire him a tutor. And I was like, yes, you do. You do get to skip two days of school. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I guess I'm in. I was like, if you could have anything, because, you know, cash doesn't mean anything to a nine-year-old boy. No. So if you could have anything, what do you want sister to buy you? And he said, I'd like a bike and I want to choose the color. 
And I was like, deal. Like, after this film thing is done, I'm going to take you to Vieng Chen and we're going to buy a bike any color you want. Wow. <laughs> and we did. He bought a rainbow-colored bike. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Well, I tell you, the thing that I, I love, too, is the different shadings you gave the old man. And I thought that was so cool. What an arc for any actor to play. But, I mean, I just... It was really interesting. At first, you weren't sure, and then you realized what he was doing. And then, I guess you can say, without giving anything away, the consequences of the choices he makes during the course of the film and how it impacts, you know, what's what's ahead of him. I thought that was really, really cool and a plum part for any actor to tackle. It's very much, um, you know, what they say, the butterfly effect. Absolutely. Right? It is completely the butterfly effect. And the, the changes that he makes and the changes that he feels at first are so minor like that, like just whatever air that you could possibly feel from a butterfly flapping its wings. But then as it like ripples out, it becomes like a tsunami. <laughs> yes, it does. More with Maddie Doe in a moment. I, the, the young girl that we see on the road. And yeah. I, I like at the end what happens with her and... Not going to say anything more about that, but she it, it's very uh, I loved her part. And I kind of saw her as almost like a guide to to show them what the reality was like. It's like this is what the reality is right now. But you can do this. You can do that. And the the scene where she draws the line in the sand, literally, I thought that was really, really cool and really that well was done. Fun. Yeah, that was that, super fun. She and I terrific. love that. I love that too because she's very casual about it, you know. And yeah, and they're just having one of the things um, in that scene that I adore, and I think I should just tell you because it's something that people outside of our country won't get is, uh, you know, before he goes with the girl, he's at the market. The little boy's at the market, and uh, he's trying to buy rice and food for his mother and himself. And the market lady asks, oh, darling, is there anything else? Do you need anything else? And then his eyes fall to the soda pop, right? Yeah. And then next thing you see, you see him and the girl walking down the road with bags filled with ice and soda. Because that's how little kids get soda here. Because mm-hmm. I guess the shopkeepers recycled the glass bottles. Uh, and um, I thought that that was a really like cute cultural nod. Because one of the things that we put on Spirit House Shrines besides incense and candles and fruit and flowers or little snacks is they always offer colored soda pop, usually red. And um, sometimes I've seen green soda also get offered, but they always like assume that, well, if the, if the ghost is thirsty, it either wants liquor or soda, which is hilarious because like, if I were a ghost, (laughs) I'd want water or liquor would be okay too, or wine. (laughs) Sure. And so they both have bags of red soda. So he's obviously put soda on her shrine so that she has soda to drink on their walk in, the, in her afterlife with him. Yeah. And that was a really cute cultural nod. But what's significant is you see the color change in the time shift, right? Yes. Where the boy has this like super warm and summery and beautiful golden hour natural coloring that's lush. And then when you skip to the old man's timeline, uh, it's more toxic. It's more um, mustard and brown and rust and just, you know, decaying almost. Yeah. Um, and you realize that there's a color palette to every timeline. 
including when the old man goes to a darker timeline of himself and you know yeah. which we don't want to spoil or anything no <laughs> things get bad for the old man oh yeah to, to that moment when we're not sure when we're not sure what timeline we're in yeah you know i think that the most impressive thing about the girl which you did not bring up but i think is tugging at you tony it's probably is, tugging yes <laughs> i think it's tugging because of the way you worded it um is she a guide or is she sort of a manipulator herself? <laughs> wow, very right? interesting. She's lived these timelines over and over again, and she's seen different results. Right. She's yeah. seen different results. She admits that she's seen different results. And the only new result is the very big spoiler, right? The very big spoiler right. like, that I will not say. But yeah. that, was the, that was the only thing that's ever been new in all the different times that she's cycled through his life. And um, in a way, like, even if she's not manipulating them per se, she's allowing them to make choices. There is a moment when there's a confrontation between the man and the boy and the boy say, I don't want to be like this. Please help me. Yeah. And she, the old man and her exchange glances. There are a couple of incidences where she exchanges glances with the old man when uh, they're about to help the boy with the mother. There's a moment where he's like, I'm going to help you with your mom. Here's what we're going to do. And he gives the glass to the little boy. And as a little boy walks away, he and her exchange a look. And she's like, is this what we're going to do? Are we really going to do this? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But she never like reaches out her hand and stops him or anything. Nope. And you've seen her physically stop him a couple of times. Like once mm -hmm. he was going to go into the woods when the little boy first finds her body and steals money from her. And the old man is about to go into the woods to see what she's noticing, what she's watching. And she stops it. And she's like, no, don't go in. This is not the moment. Right. So she's allowing certain things to happen. One could say that she's complicit. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, that, <laughs> that adds a, yet another shading to this amazing film. And uh, <laughs> I'm a Cuban refugee and I know your parents were refugees. So I totally connect and understand their story. I mean, I lived it. So I knew I was only six years old, but I remember. But you remember. I re yeah. remember when you're, when you are literally leaving your home that you've only known and you're being pulled away from your grandmother and you're crying because you don't understand what's going on. So, oh, Tony. Yeah, I um, was born in the U.S. The first one, yeah. I was what you could call the anchor baby, I guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, hooray for migration, right? Or what do they call it? Immigration, uh, yeah. Immigration. No, no, with the whole family. Oh, yeah, migration. With, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how my whole family got here. Yeah. Right. But um, even though I didn't experience what you did, the ripples continue generationally sure. and there are a lot of other repercussions that happen too. You know, I remember uh, being put into ESL classes, even though I spoke fluent English, but they didn't know because I was shy and I looked like oh. this oh. and I was put into e ESL languages for a while. I remember my mother going to night school to learn English while she worked at a cannery in the afternoon Wow. to be able to make ends meet, but she needed to learn English because she spoke Lao Thai and French, not English, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's something. Yeah. I mean, we all have stories because uh, we all come from somewhere. I mean, 
there, the only, there was only one group that was really Native American. Everybody else came from somewhere else. So, uh, yeah, it's, they it's, came I, from here and they got shunted out. Yeah, yes, terrible? they did. Yeah, that's, that's, mm. that's a national disgrace, really. And, uh, and we'll never mm. live that down. We have a few things like that, unfortunately. Yeah. But, um, but hopefully, yeah. brighter days are ahead sometime sooner than later. Kudos for uh, Creep Show, too. Working with, so Greg's, working with Greg's bunch. I, I actually interviewed Greg at the beginning of season one. So. He's wonderful. He's great. He's great. Yeah. And, and that so, was also uh, a play on immigration as well. That, there you, you know, go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's 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 the beauty of, of something like this is that you can expose people to different cultures in a fantastical setting. But yet all of a sudden you realize that we have a heck of a lot more in common than that separate us. And that's what I love. About You're completely right, Tony. One of the things that I love about being a filmmaker who can bring Lao onto big screens around the world and into uh, onto any screens is like, I'm able to tell stories that wouldn't otherwise get heard or be right. so known. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to horror, everyone has fantastic supernatural stories from their country and their culture, from their origin. Right. Yeah. And that's uh, when I started working with Greg Nicotero, that was something that was really important to him was that, you know, maybe we should just break from the most well-known werewolf and vampire stories and try something that is more cultural and more lesser known to the Western world, perhaps. And what you find out when you do that is at the core of every story, the terrors and the fears and the isolation um, of being the outsider or being the monster or being attacked um, is real. And fear mm-hmm. of the unknown is real for any culture, regardless of where the story comes from or what language it's told in. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's very obvious. You, you got a great script. Uh, and, Thank uh, you. you know, from a, a fellow creep show uh, person. But yes, um, the husband one. Actually, oh, there, the you husband there you go. There you go. But yeah, but boy, as a director, I mean, basically, I look at directors and storytellers and what they do with the story, how the actors carry out that story, the technical stuff. I mean, you know, you got the right crew. You don't have to worry about that as much. And you're so right. That uh, matters a lot. But But the story uh, can't be saved by a crew. (laughs) No, it sure can't. And it can't be saved in editing. I'm sorry to say fix it in post is not really true. So I always tell people that I always say, um, you know, I know that I know there's one example that people always throw at me, but I think it was such an outlier. I really do. Um, I believe that the story and the script is your first roadmap. If that roadmap is broken and that roadmap takes you off a freaking cliff, you can't like glide back up. You can't no. fly back off that cliff, you know, mm-hmm. or, or if you hit a dead end, if that, if that roadmap only leads you to dead ends, you're never going to get to your finished line. You're never going to get past that finish line. No matter how beautiful your DOP's work is, no matter how talented your editor is, um, it, it just doesn't matter. And my performers can be performing the hell out of their roles. But if the script is broken, the film is broken. And I am a true believer that the script gets or that the film gets made three times. It gets made when it's a script. It gets made in, in production because my husband's with me during production. And he's amazed by the choices that I make. Like he, because you know he wrote it, yeah. But he didn't doesn't always know how I'm going to 
put it together. And then when he's on set, he's like, oh, is that how you decided to put it together? <laughs> and then I disappear for a few months and I go edit because I edit in France. And when I come back, I come back with this film and he, it's again another film. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it really is it a process. Three times. It, yeah. it's, I always look at it as your kind of, the script is the building blocks of the house. And as you're building yeah. the house, you make little improvements or you, you make certain decisions. But, I, but then when it's all finished, it's a perfect house, as perfect as you can get it, and it's ready to go. So that's the way right. I look at it. You know. if you're so right. If it's a blueprint and the foundation is stable, and all the rooms are functional. And if all the rooms have the window, That's you know, right. like there is no like dungeon room or anything. <laughs> um, then however you want to embellish the house, however you want to paint the house, however you want to do the landscaping around it, it doesn't matter because the house is going to be fine structurally. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's so true. Well, what a pleasure to talk to you, Maddie. I, I think you're a storyteller and a director to watch. I really do. And Thank uh, you. And it looks like uh, not only from a marriage standpoint, from a creative standpoint, you and your husband work very well together and have crafted a really fine film. And, uh, you know, it's like it's 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 easier. Obviously, somebody like me who's grown up with all this sci-fi and horror and stuff. So it's. You, you kind of have to, I always, my philosophy is let the film tell me the story and let me not start to judge. Why is this happening or what happening? Let's see okay. where it goes. And I, oh, I, this one's good for you then. <laughs> very good. Very good for me. So it was like, oh, because then you discover things. And you're like, oh, I yes. like that. That's interesting. Well, that's even more interesting. And it just keeps building on it. And that's what did, this movie did for me. So uh, it's certainly worth viewing and i hope a lot of people see this because we need so. more films like this too we really do i'm so happy to hear that you feel that way about our film and i i really hope people see it too and you're right you're right let the story get enraptured in it let the mm -hmm. story envelop you um wait you know be patient because the story is going to unravel and if you are collecting the details um, and you're holding on to them and you notice them, then when when those details are necessary and needed, it really pays off. Um, I think that patient storytelling is really beautiful, but yes. uh, I think a lot of our modern society has lost that. Yep. A lot of our new, our new generation of viewers, I think, like to be told or explained to. They need, um, you know, they may need big expo exposition moments or they need flashbacks. And they're not very patient anymore. Something needs to happen every five minutes. A new piece of information needs to be revealed. But I don't necessarily agree. I think it's fun to go on the journey with the characters and have it unravel, like, organically, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. The old man, you get to see how he lives, what he's doing, yes. what his everyday lives are, what his house looks like. You take yes. it all in, and that just literally sucks you into the story. It's like, yes. all right, this is where I am right now. And let's see what happens from here on in. The Long Walk is available to view on AMC Plus and YouTube by subscription, plus on the Roku channel for free. And also reminding you that Sci-Fi Talk Plus gives you a free lifetime subscription by clicking on the link in the show notes. This is Tony Tolato.